Hello. Hi there. Welcome to Raising Dad, Raising Dads, Raising Dads. I told you I wasn't going to do that. But yeah, I don't had, do that ever again. I had to do that. <laughs> uh, welcome. This is this is the first episode of Raising Dads. First one. We're doing first it. First one. But I have good news for everyone listening at home. We've recorded over 4,000 episodes already. So it's not going to be the next like, 10 years. It's not going to be like that Netflix show that you watch one season and you get super into and then they don't renew it. We're no, here it'll to be baby girl. Yeah, no, it's going to just be like one of those shows that you listen to. You love us yeah. and you're intrigued by what interesting things we have to say. We've been referred to as the Simon and Garfunkel of podcasting. No one has ever said that. Uh, we have been referred to as the office of podcasting, the Simpsons of podcasting. Who said Long, that, by the way? Uh, I, I said it. All right. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I never said, I said we even referred to. I didn't say who. Gotcha. Listen, who here's the thing the podcast is going to be great. It's uh, going to be awesome. We, every week, we're going to have a guest on the show, uh, stand up comedians entertainers, fighters, just super interesting people. All and around. we're going to chat with them. All right, here it is. It's the first interview. Yeah, man, we're here. Uh, we, the guest for this first episode, I stuttered there uh, because... <laughs> Uh, this episode is an intense one, and I, I think that we want to explain a few things about it. Yeah, right uh, off the bat, uh, you know, we get into a little bit of Dave's life, which is super interesting, but also in a lot of ways heartbreaking. Um, but yeah, you know what I mean? He makes some jokes and some stuff. It's uh, It was funny kind of in the way he's trying to deliver the story to keep us intrigued on it, but, you know, he talks about some sensitive stuff. For sure. If you... We make light of suicide in this episode multiple times. And so if that is a particularly sensitive subject to you, you may just want to skip to episode two. And, mm -hmm. and of course, we respect that. If you are dealing with suicidal ideations in any way, please don't be afraid to ask someone for help. You can definitely call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. People are standing by ask a friend, talk to somebody. Uh, a lot of times comedians, the way that they cope with pain is through comedy and through laughter. And that can be dark at times. And so mm -hmm. you're going to hear that come out here. Yeah. You know, dealing with emotions is tough. And a lot of people, you know, seek to make light of it, kind of how Dave does here. But we had a great conversation with them. He was sure. super funny. And uh, we actually get serious a little bit talking about his uh, dad and uh, just you know, some crazy stuff that went on in his childhood. Yeah. So we, the reason why we picked this episode as episode one is because of that. Like our, our goal mm -hmm. behind the podcast is to be entertaining and to be funny, but also to be thought provoking and to dig into, you know, deeper, deeper stories that you don't necessarily hear people tell that, you know, or people that, you know, are, are celebrities or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this first episode kind of does all of that, Ryan. Yeah, it does everything. I felt like we went right along the lines of what we're trying to find out about people, which is something that, you know, some stories that they probably don't talk about very often or ever, you know, or maybe they just share them in private, but we get a chance to hear them here. Yeah. So, uh, I guess with, uh, 
with that terrifying introduction, <laughs> get ready for uh, our guest is fantastic today. He is super funny. He's been a stand-up comedian for over 20 years. Uh, he's currently on Louder with Crowder. Louder with Crowder. Uh, he was the, on the Anthony Cumia show. You've seen him on Comedy Central. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dave Landau. Welcome. How are you? I'm 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 good. How are you? I'm good. You're in Texas now, right? Yeah, I just moved to Texas. How different is that from New York? Oh, I like it here. <laughs> it's better. <laughs> it's That's... dramatically different. Yeah, there's not people on fentanyl shitting on the streets and fucking each other <laughs> while you're just trying to go to work. Yeah, they do it in their houses like respectable human beings. Like yeah. good white trash. <laughs> uh, so I uh, this this podcast is about growing up and uh, and being raised and being risen and raising children. We both have young children, yes. you know, uh, and who and who we become and why that those things happen. Um, but to me. Uh, I think the thing that, that Ryan and I were just talking about was you are becoming this huge deal uh, in conservative, in the conservative political comedy world. Yes. And a lot of comedians, I would say most comedians uh, do not go that way. So I feel like you probably had some friends go, what the fuck, Dave? Oh, I've had more than a couple friends go, what the <laughs> fuck, Dave? I've yeah. been called, uh, I've been called names. I've been attacked. Uh, Basically, I'm just going to where they'll let me. Yeah, I tried right. for years to do it the mainstream way and try to get the specials and try to do everything. And I mean, I guess I did, but they amounted to jack shit. Yeah. So, am I allowed to swear on here? I should probably yeah, ask. Say whatever I, you want. Fuck yeah, I mean, bro. We're yeah, bro. Cut this out and clip it. So fuck go for yeah. it, dude. We all have kids. Let's swear. <laughs> Does your son swear? Uh, no, he doesn't. Well, he knows a couple words, but it's actually because yeah. of my uh, wife, not me. My, my kids just repeat them like uh, very sweetly, like they don't understand yet. So like today, I was I dropped something. And I was like shit, and my son goes, "Why shit, daddy?" <laughs> and I just I didn't say anything, and he goes, "Why shit, daddy?" And my wife goes. Yeah, why shit, Adam? <laughs> I was like, I know, I know, I got to work on it a little. Like, I never cared if my kids swore or not, but then like they go, they have to go to preschool now, and I don't want them to get the call that was like, "Hey, your daughter told someone to fuck off." Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? like you will get it too. They where... told another preschooler that they look like shit today. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, well, their mom should brush their hair then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're calling the dad. I don't know anything about this. Yeah. Uh, are your uh, are your parents still around? No, they're both dead. They're both dead. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How <laughs> that's how we like to start this thing. Really awkward. <laughs> uh, Ryan is actually a uh, he does seances, and so we're gonna bring uh, we're gonna bring one <laughs> okay. of them back for you right now. Whichever. Oh, that's whichever. that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have some unresolved shit to work through with them? You well, are young, Dave. How are your parents both dead? Uh, well, my dad got Agent Orange in Vietnam, which led to brain cancer, and he died when I was a teenager. Damn. And that then led to my mom's suicide. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, she couldn't live without him. So that Six was... Uh, <laughs> we were firing on all yeah. cylinders. So, you know, I guess you could say it's unresolved, I, but yeah. I know why she did it. <laughs> 
I mean, if, it's, it's not like I have to ask her. She just missed my father. So, I mean, it was very sweet. It's just that we had to find her. Yeah, so it's, it was, like a, it's like a Romeo and Juliet with more baggage. Yeah, like a Romeo and Juliet, except my dad was poisoned by the military who denied him coverage, and he died. God damn. <laughs> when we were a teenager, leaving me with crippling alcoholism and addiction problems <laughs> that I eventually <laughs> overcame to only become a conservative radio guy and have people fucking hate me for it. Uh, and that's our time so, with Dave Landau. Yeah. Uh, thank you. So in a nutshell, me. everything's going great. Yeah, everything's pretty good. I I was just at my mom's grave the other day, actually, <laughs> with my son. It's above ground. If uh, if this is the first episode of our podcast, someone's listened to, they're either going to be super hooked or like I'm turning this off right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be on the blocked caller. Like, why are they laughing about all these things? Maybe there's. Yeah, maybe there's somebody who can relate. They're like, yeah, my dad also died of Agent Orange from Vietnam, and then my mom killed herself. <laughs> what is what is uh, oh, uh Lord. Asian a Orange? It's uh, not Asian Orange. That's a chicken <laughs> at Panda Express. <laughs> what my dad died of was Agent Orange, which was a gas that they would spray into the fields before the soldier went in to kill all the plant life. Um, so they could yeah. get in there and, and go after the Viet Cong. But it also uh, ended up killing all the soldiers later in life because it gave <laughs> yeah. them all Parkinson's and cancer. And, and when my dad wow. had it, he had a, he had a soft cell sarcoma um, that the his, govern, uh, his insurance company called a pre-existing condition. And the VA said, uh, well, Agent Orange didn't cause that, so we're not giving you anything. So my dad went broke trying to stay alive until he eventually died. And they still never gave my mom anything for it, even though they have since agreed that a soft cell sarcoma did kill my dad. And it was right. a result, a direct result of Agent Orange in Vietnam. That's insane. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they've they just want the soldiers to die. There's very few that have been taken care of, yeah. And that's what they the government wants, which largely is why I, I in political radio I do have an opinion about why I don't think there should be more government. But I'm not necessarily conservative. I'm actually really a moderate, if not a liberal moderate. But everybody just assumes I'm right wing because I'm willing to talk to right wing sure. people and sit next to them. Yeah, you have yeah, an how opinion dare about you? something. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, if I'm part, and of course, if I'm joking these days, you know, I'm Hitler. Yeah. So there's that part too. It makes sense that the government wouldn't want to like heal people in a way because then they have to keep paying disability out. Like, and they'd have to admit that they killed soldiers. I mean, it's like yeah. the recent White Boy Rick documentary. It's like, of course, he sat in jail for forty years because right. you're not going to say, "Well, we of course we gave a kid." crack to put into the inner city they're like ah, yeah. we've never met him yeah were you and your yeah. dad close very yeah and did you watch him get sick like over time yes yeah he started getting sick when i was 13 died when i was 18 oh my god that's a that's a long that's a long yeah. struggle oh yeah 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 like i he got um uh he had all kinds of surgery he was living in boston actually briefly where he was getting neurosurgery at Harvard Hospital. He was living in Ann Arbor, like places that were specialists. And I was staying with my mom's friend who also <laughs> also killed herself when she was staying with me. Jesus. Can we, uh, let's get, can we keep she, some tallies of how many people yeah, died? She went, she, oh, there's so many. Uh, she went home to do it, though. Same way. Um, 
but she uh, she was a nurse at the same hospital as my mom, and she had kind of cared for us when we were little kids. And she was getting, uh, she was apparently addicted to the painkillers and taking them. And they were right. going. She got a call saying they were going to arrest her and press federal charges. So no she way. went home and swallowed the entire bottle and died. Yeah, who was basically Whoa. the woman who was caring for me when I was like fifteen. Um, so then my dad came back and he had a halo drilled into his head, which keeps your neck up. So it was drilled yeah. into his head, and that uh, I remember that really well because I was on LSD the first time I saw it. No shit. Yeah, and he kind of called me out on it because he's like, you're not high, you're not drunk, but there's definitely something off about you right now. And my dad became a, uh, a medic in Vietnam after the service, a part of it. So he was very aware of what freaked out people right. on acid look like. Yeah. And especially looking at something drilled into his head. So I was just like, how are you doing that with your face? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Came back as a cyborg, dude. Yeah, yeah, like, you were playing it real cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's no way. I probably Yeah, he, you're probably like, telling yourself what? he can't tell him hi. There's no fucking way. <laughs> yeah, like I'm good. I'm just going to go up to my room and I'm yeah. just tripping balls. Do I have one of these on me too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like touching his and i'm like can you see mine <laughs> do we all have these <laughs> whoa we all have angel halos no, i'm, I'm dying of die? pretty aggressive cancer <laughs> i mean you were saying that he you know he obviously had to spend his own money like how is he doing that i mean is he just working and doing whatever he could to pay for treatment yeah my dad grew up uh very poor and like the he was from the ghetto of detroit and uh he was a millionaire by that time he had he'd done very well and uh he had money to actually essentially pay for a lot of surgeries but it still rendered him pretty much broke by the end of it i mean it was right. he he had enough to leave my mom with insurance money yeah you know and my mom was a nurse and still worked full time um, but for a long time, my mom was the breadwinner. Like when we were young, we were pretty broke. I remember. And then when I was probably like five or six, I remember stuff changing and us getting toys and being spoiled, you know? Right. So we, we experienced both lines of it. So we went from like poor to rich to like broken. Yeah. What did he do time. to, uh, to be successful? Like, did he do business or? He was in um, he was in this catastrophic claims division of Allstate where he was in like this law firm that helped create like the Lemon Law and uh -oh. build stuff with law uh, build stuff with Allstate that was actually more pro consumer, which isn't shocking that they fucked him. But yeah, uh, yeah it was a, he was signed kind of on the consumer side of insurance and did a lot of things to help people that had again catastrophic claims like his were that weren't being cared for. Yeah. And he did very, very well in it. But unfortunately, you know, yeah. your dad sounds amazing, man. He's a great yeah. guy. I mean, he coached yeah. all of our uh, baseball teams at a league. He raised us because his dad abandoned him the day he was born. So he, he wasn't letting that happen. Yeah. No, he was the total opposite and uh, the best guy imaginable. Did he? It's a. Uh... That's amazing to me because when, generally when you hear about the successful business guy, it's always he never made it to any of my games. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah. your dad somehow doubled down and did and did both. Like, that's incredible. Not only that, he started Babe Ruth Little League in uh, Gross Point Woods, where I was in Detroit. So kids from the inner city were also playing with people in the suburbs. So he created the entire he ran the entire Little League and wow. also was our coach. So that's amazing. He, 
Yeah, he like there's still a Tom Landau field in really gross. Yeah. So you guys were in uh, more of like the Detroit pop proper area or were you guys in the suburbs? We were in the suburbs. You're in Gross Point, which is a stark difference from Detroit, but it's right on the yeah. border. So literally one side of the street is burnt down houses and one side yeah. of the street is really is pretty nice. I should say pretty nice homes all the way up to the richest bootleggers that once had liquor coming over from Canada that are yeah. just mansions and like, you know, Crazy. so I, I grew up around the poorest people you could imagine and the richest people you could imagine. Like my friends live next door to the Fords, uh, wow. were billionaires. And then I had friends that would make you drop them off like way down on seven mile in the ghetto, two blocks yeah. from their house because they didn't want their parents to see them with white people. So I saw like, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. saw both. And sides. they were white. Yes. Yeah. They were, yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, the guy banging their mom was pretty violent about it. <laughs> uh, did uh, did your dad grow up? Was he like the cool? Was he the cool dad then? Like, did your friends like? Did, was your house the spot to be? My house was the, the way that I'd say it is it was a lot like that 70s show. We all hung out in my basement and that's where we smoked pot and we drank. And especially after he, I mean, I hate to say it, but when he got sick, it was like, oh, well, this is sort of a free for all. But at the right. time, but when we were young, I remember um, like my, my brother's good friend who's now extremely successful. His dad was in prison. And uh, I just remember we were in the car, we were like 13 and my buddy's sitting up front and, you know, he's just from a broken home and uh, he's, he goes to pull out a cigarette and my dad just looks at him and goes, okay. And just like, let him smoke in the car at 13. <laughs> and uh, then when he dropped him off, I was like, what was that? And he's like, he is like, he has it a lot harder than you. Don't worry about what that was. You know, like he had, cause he, he was understood. from that home. Yeah. Right, he got that. Right. So he, every, he had a, a, he knew how to deal with each kid individually. Yeah. And he was really always somebody who everybody considered their dad. All my friends would always consider him, you know, their dad. And it, and a lot yeah. of my friends that lost their dad, you know, yeah. looked at him as a father figure. So it Did was you ever hard. feel on like he wasn't like uh, picking your friends over you or like you were like losing out uh, on attention to like other kids? Never. I just That's sucked right. at sports. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's I, just he, never rooting for you. Yeah, there was never Maybe, a time. Dave, you showed up today. Fucking get an orange or something. You know? <laughs> I remember he put me into pitch, and I threw one pitch, and he just goes, get, "No, back to right field." <laughs> uh, he but, had to be involved in other kids' lives if he, yeah, if he wanted to be cool with sports. <laughs> but he knew he knew like I love comedy and SNL. So uh, during like the. Um, Chris Farley, Adam Sandler years, uh, he would wake me up at night and we would watch SNL. And so, you so knew we, when you were a kid then that you were like into like into comedy. Did you did you see yourself doing that when you were a kid? I I really liked filming sketches and I really loved Saturday Night Live and I really loved In Living Color and we watched that religiously every weekend. So yeah. that was yeah, I, I knew that I wanted to do something with that. And my dad and one of my teachers recommended the second city because I was a horrible kid after my dad got sick i was arrested 12 times i was like i it, i became a fucking addict and it was pretty pretty bad after that but right. i had a teacher who thought i was really funny even though i was a complete piece of shit and both her and my dad were like you need to go to second city john candy had opened one in downtown detroit in 1993 and oh, i was really? like all right yeah and that's where i ended up starting in 2001 uh i went to start taking 
it went and took classes. I was uh, 19 at the time. Wow. So that, I mean, that teacher and your dad saved your life in a way. I mean, yeah, because everybody else just thought I was going to die, which a lot yeah. of my friends, mo- you know, I, I'd say most, but I, a good half of them have died. Was that the first time you felt yourself like finding an actual passion of something to do? Like before that, did you have anything that you were super into or was that finally something you felt like, like, oh, this yeah. is what I could do? Oh, absolutely. I, that was the first time I actually felt like I could be good at something. Right. Because once I, I kind of gave up on any idea of comedy once I started doing drugs. That's all I really cared about was drugs and alcohol. And you were, uh, you were pretty good at getting arrested, though. Yeah, I was arrested <laughs> twelve times before the age of twenty-one, and then in two thousand nine and twenty-seven was my thirteenth, and hopefully last. Yeah, <laughs> he's always going strong. <laughs> yeah, you'd never know, but that was the day. Like I even put up my mugshot in a photo today on one of the vaccine passports. Like, <laughs> I look like El Chapo in it. I don't even know how I appeared to be like. I look you have like a gold just... chain and like a <laughs> weird freaking flower no, T-shirt. No, I look more like him when he was hiding in this room, basically. Oh, yeah, when he's like with, coming out of the tunnel, yeah, or whatever. No sunlight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like I'm just all pale and I have a mustache. Yeah. It really makes you had no just sense. slipped through the bathroom floor somehow and just <laughs> yes. fucking motorcycled out to your mugshot. Yeah. <laughs> so when when did you go for like like uh, timeline in thirty seconds from dad getting sick to your first arrest to mom killing herself to last arrest? Like what's? Oh, my mom killing herself was years later. It was built up over time. Oh, but, okay. Uh, from the first arrest was. Um, I always had depression. I knew I had depression when I was about 11 or 12. So I had uh, a lot of suicidal thoughts, but I, my brain was a lot better back then before I poisoned it for a long time. Yeah. Uh, So I will read stuff from like sixth grade where I'm like, wow, I was uh, kind of a poet. And now I don't know. (laughs) I don't know half these words and I'm 38. (laughs) I can't believe I used to write in cursive. Yeah. How the fuck do you do do a cursive R anymore, dude? I don't even know how to say the alphabet to a police officer. (laughs) (laughs) That's why uh, I was arrested, I swear. Yeah, so like I had Dad already it. been, <laughs> I had like we had been bad in middle school where I had been dabbling in pot and drinking, but nothing ever major. But once my dad got sick and stuff started happening that way, I started hanging out with a lot of people where I just started drinking. And the second that I tried booze, it was the best feeling I've ever had. Mm. I'll never forget it. It really? was, yeah, it took away every bit of pain that I had. It was every answer. It gave me confidence, it gave me hope, it made me happy. Yeah. It, I loved it, and from then I would put anything in my body that somebody had. And did you recognize it at the time that it was like going down the wrong path? But you just like didn't care. At first, no, I didn't think I would end up the way that I did. But eventually, when it was a year later, I'd say I'm trying to do it in 30 seconds. There's a lot. <laughs> There's but... a lot front in here. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first time I drank, we got shit faced right when my dad had gotten sick in our basement. I don't mean the first time I drank, but the first time I got drunk. Me and two of my friends split a fifth that my dad had won in a golf tournament in the 70s. This was 1997. So it was just moonshine. (laughs) And we were about to watch the movie uh, Spy Hard with Leslie Nielsen, and we all passed out. And I woke up to my mom screaming because my friend Ray was on a beanbag chair unresponsive. (laughs) So they... Yeah, they called 911 and I went upstairs and the ambulance was there and I decided to lay in the stretcher 
because I was so drunk, I thought it was my bed. <laughs> so oh my these, <laughs> these paramedics <laughs> pushed me off of it. And then this detective comes in, I swear on my life, comes in and goes, I ne- we need to know what your friend Ray did tonight. And we've, we've sc- we searched the basement. And what was it that you did? And he goes, I think it was this. And I just need your confirmation. And he pulls out, I swear to God, non-toxic Elmer's wood glue. And my friend, <laughs> who's... <laughs> Fucking best detective in the department. Oh, amazing. And my friend (laughs) who's 14 and shit-faced goes, you did it again, Columbo. We we just start throwing references at him from different shows like Kojak and Inspector Gadget. And the guy's like, you're lucky I don't arrest you. And he storms out. And uh, then I had, like, my friend lived and they, they, you know, he came over the next day and we had to empty all the the liquor out and yeah. our parents our parents gave us this big long talking to so i realized the first time i drank was also the first time i had an intervention so the signs <laughs> right. the signs were there i just Hindsight. didn't notice yeah because once it once i tasted it i just wanted more and more mm-hmm. and then after that um my dad died when i was 18 so four years later um but i didn't see a lot of him except when he was better and he would coach and he would take us golfing and stuff. And he would do it in a halo and just make jokes of like, you know, like, God, it helps me keep my head down. And it's like, <laughs> you, I know you're in pain. <laughs> but, uh, and then when my dad died, and, yeah, my mom was always bipolar and had issues and uh, always deep-seated issues. You find out more when they pass away. And uh, uh, a few years later, she uh, took a bottle of pills and, Man. Went home to the Lord, as they say. Yeah, <laughs> and you and you uh, and you found her. Uh, my brother did, and then okay. I, I, yeah, I came over, sense. you know, to I don't know, just get stuff. <laughs> <laughs> came over to cross the T's and drop the yeah. I. Can we uh, empty your purse out before the police yeah. come? Or... <laughs> That's what it sounds like when you say I came to get stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can yeah, we, we had to. We moved the to... non-toxic glue bottle out of the house. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna know. They yeah. remember this home. Same detective. He's back. How, dude. how he's old are you? Yeah. He, he walks up. He's like, I think she might have done this. <laughs> he goes. I can he tell goes, I figured she... it out. And he like pulls out like a Mountain Dew, and she's. He's like, did she drink this and Pop Rocks? <laughs> <laughs> this is what happened. Did what she? Happens. I noticed this empty tub of ice cream. <laughs> Same thing happened to the lady in 4-H. <laughs> Screaming for ice cream. Dead. <laughs> that's so intense, man. I mean, that's so much to, that's so much to go through when you're when you're a kid and then like as growing up. I mean, I how long until after that point, and you might have already said this, but how long after that point did you finally like become sober and all that? Oh, uh, after my dad passed, it was um nine years and when 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 did and when did your mom pass oh i was sober at the time i was 32 really yeah was that tough was that one of the hardest times to stay to stay sober or were you yes where were you at yeah um well because i immediately said this is the sign of an addict too i immediately said nobody can tell you you can't get wasted you can mm, use this. Right. I, I looked at it as a foot in the door to go. I can do whatever the fuck This is I your want. excuse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like tell yeah. me that I can't get drunk or use it, but I didn't. And was your and son was your son born yet? Yeah, he was eight months old. Oh my god. And Man. he meant everything to her. 
but I think that she saw she was so mentally declining and not from being old. She just she it's a long story, but she worked at something called the Candy Striper, which is when kids would volunteer into nursing home or yeah. into homes when she was young. So she was about 13 years old when she worked in psych wards, and this was in 1960. So or the 1960s. So this is when you know. If you were like, I feel a little depressed, they were like, Well, you're a retard and should get electroshock therapy. Yeah. Like it was really, yeah, it was not kind. So the uh, the idea that she would be any of these people was terrifying to her. So she would never admit that she had this horrible bipolar psychiatric problem. Sure. So she would talk her way out of everything because she was in nursing. She was very intelligent. She never had to face her problems. But for years, I saw her mentally decline into the point that it was relieving in a way when it happened, but at the same time, heartbreaking because it's like, you could have just got help and you chose not to, but she would just listen to my dad's favorite songs and just sit there and just, just dwell and just be, yeah. Yeah. She never moved on. Yeah. Where was it? Was it surprising to you? When she first tried, it was, and then, you know, and done. No, uh, she tried one time and talked her way out of it and said it was an accident. But then she'd call and be like, hey, I want to like watch your son. And I'd be like, yeah, but if you get depressed at three, I won't be home until five. Because yeah. that's the only way I can like make a joke out of it. So right. she would she would be like, you know, don't do it. So she was this gr- wonderful grandmother. But I think that she saw it as, I think it's probably better if I take myself out and I'll just leave them the house and whatever. And, right. you know, it was really a the wrong choice for and sure. I mean, it's too hard to understand, man. You know, like there's so much of that that goes on that probably none of us will ever understand or nobody will figure out. But, right. you know, cause like you said, she's an amazing grandmother, great mom and all this stuff, but just dealt with it. And yeah, you you're left figuring out why, if you're a family member, you're left trying to sit there and go like, what could we have done different or something, you know? Yeah. And it's like, look, when I was young, I experienced both sides. I experienced a very loving mom and a fucking psycho who yeah. would beat the shit out of us to the point where my dad was like, once he found out, he was like, what's going on? You know? So yeah. I saw two sides of her. I saw, I saw the bipolar come out when I was young and I couldn't comprehend it then. But when I was older and I was like, oh, this is something people have and I can finally understand yeah. it was actually relieving for me. You don't know how much I relate to that. My mom actually is also bipolar. Okay. And, so, there you uh, go. so I relate to that very much. You know what I mean? And, and so and, that, uh, and just you know, an addict, right? Yeah. And an addict. You know what I mean? Same. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, I, I relate to that a lot as far as like the the weird like emotions you can go through trying to figure out like what is going on. Like, is this me or am i you know did i do something you know that's causing this you know you just go through those emotions all the time because you don't know who you're getting some days especially when you're young because you don't grasp it and i remember coming home and there would be this darkness in the house is the only way i could describe it and i knew it was her mood Mm -hmm. and i would walk in i remember i was five and i said uh what are we having for dinner and she goes dog shit and i was like that doesn't sound good it doesn't sound (laughs) awesome I was hoping for one step above dog shit when I came home today. Right. I guess so we're having top ramen tonight. So (laughs) is that what you mean? (laughs) Yeah, and I was like, I was in middle school kind of when grunge was huge. And I was like, this is perfect time for a depressed like preteen to just listen to (laughs) put Nirvana on. (laughs) Do it. Do it. How did your uh 
how, how did your dad handle uh, like the emotional part of being sick? Very well. Yeah. In a way that uh, you never knew. I mean, he joked around. He was like Rodney Dangerfield. He was the funniest person I've ever met. And yeah. I'm a comedian who knows comics. And he was just always throwing out one-liners and making people laugh. Like, people love him. People come and see me live because they find out I'm his son all over mm. the country. Really? That's a nice thing to see. Yeah. Wow, that's I, pretty cool. Yeah, he's really... He was just something special where it sounds like I'm building it up, but it, he was it's not. Like, I, I just... I still see people that are like, your dad was the nicest guy in Detroit. And yeah, it, that's what people have said about him, where he, he was just a kind person. So he, he dealt with it. But he was somebody who I watched r- repeatedly get dealt a bad hand for somebody mm. who was so good. And it certainly made me jaded. Yeah. But for him, he never got jaded. He just took life the way that it was and dealt with it and was extremely I mean, how tough. could you not be outspoken about, you know, the stuff you're talking about, the military? How, I mean, you, your personal experience, you know, tells the story right there, you know? And and you get that, but everybody's so polarized by whatever side they want to be on yeah. that if you're extremely left right now, you're immediately going to assume what I think based on the show I was on. Right. And I don't. You know, I, I guess I, I don't care anymore. I used to care and I used to worry about what people think. And that turned me into an alcoholic and then just fuels my dep- depression. These people don't like me anyway. They're not my friends. They never were. If you can, if you don't know me well enough to know that I'm not a bad person because sure. I'm on a radio show that you don't agree with politically. Yeah. You're like, right. I've done way worse shit than this. So much worse. Yeah. <laughs> so much worse. If this is what you're mad at, wait till you figure out what else happened. Yeah, that's why it's like, have you heard about the things in my past? Like, you know, just drugs I've taken and oh my lord. And just stuff I've stolen from homes of loved ones alone. Like I pawned, I pawned my dad's golf clubs, a sick dying man to buy Coke. Damn, dude. Yeah, it's like, yeah. sorry that I fucking yeah. don't hate Trump as much as you, but I'm not right. a fan either. <laughs> this fucking nine iron's getting me a little party tonight, all right? Yeah, it's so. like, yeah, it's like, I'm sorry I didn't cry over the last four years. I was just like, whoever's, whatever. I don't, right. I don't know. Do you know if your dad, uh, did you know, do you know if your dad did drugs? He did not. He didn't do drugs and he didn't drink. He he um he tried drugs. I mean, he said even in Vietnam they would find you know it was kind of everywhere there. It's from yeah, it was in in growing too. Yeah. so they'd find uh, that and they just like light it on fire and throw it in a tent and just stand in there. Yeah, <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they smoke it out of a young the original hot box, dude. Skull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, what do we yeah. call this thing? What are we doing now? We're hotboxing this tent. I feel <laughs> like <laughs> we yeah, never we cool smoking weed in a Volvo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm smoking weed. I wish I had a Volvo. It was just uh, I was usually in I was in my Jeep, which wasn't bad, but I was usually in like just a not Ford. a Volvo. No, I usually like at the back of a Ford Topaz. <laughs> do you find uh, Do you find yourself feeling like uh, there's moments where you do things that you're like, oh, I'm I'm my mom right now, or oh, I'm my I'm my dad right now? Oh yeah. Like, especially with OCD, like I have 
I have a bag of pills right there <laughs> that's essentially <laughs> for like depression and you know stomach issues, and that's pills should be much. in a bag. That seems like the safest way. Well, to, yeah. they're they're <laughs> divided like good spot to keep them. <laughs> they're, they're they're divided. In stuff. Oh, okay, got it. <laughs> but it's, yeah. Can I just imagine like like yeah. imagine like a sandwich bag with just like a couple colors on it? Yeah, well, this is like for migraines and this is for depression, but it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's not anything that's painkillers or addictive, but I uh, do yeah. worry about that because I know that I, I worry medically like my mom was a hypochondriac sure. and no, I wish I was more chill like my dad. Cause if they were like, you have brain cancer, I'd go, Oh, that's cool. I would just uh, blow my head <laughs> off after watching what I saw. Yeah, I'd be oh, like, listen, yeah. I'm just gonna, this is just going to be better if we somehow make my death look like an accident and you get my insurance money because it's yeah. it's not worth seeing somebody deteriorate i think it would be easier for my son just to be gone with it because like, i had friends who lost their dad suddenly yeah. and they it did not have the effect as my friends were me that had to slowly watch someone die it just it, it is very weird to see people like in nursing homes or being kept in this like quote unquote they're alive you know but are they really living a life, you know, right. It's Ryan's such a, a firefighter. So he gets called to yeah. nursing homes or to suicides. Yeah. Every oh, yeah. day. Yeah. So, That's you know, it seeing that kind of stuff always makes me always makes me think like, you know, about myself, like when I get older, like what type of plan I want to have, you know what I mean? But also just like how difficult it can be for like, sometimes it is the person who's like, either they're doing it, but they're only doing it because their family is like telling them like, you need to stay good. You know, we need to get you treatment, but they're just yeah. living in a bed, you know, and it's not, it's not they, much they of a life. Yeah, they don't want to be know? there. Yeah. They, but they don't want to be there. A lot of it, you know, it's tough. I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. My, my Nana was like that. She died at 95. And I remember talking to her when I was probably like 21, you know? So she at the time was 15 years younger than that. And I heard just going like, I lost my soul when your grandpa died when I was not in 1995 and she was just waiting for death. Right. So when she died, I was happy for her because I knew like she had told me so many years before that's what she wanted. And yeah. she just was holding on to, nothing. she was good with it. Yeah. yeah she it lived is, her life. It is a, like our, uh, we, we, our wives are sisters. Mm -hmm. And so okay. their and their dad passed away super, super suddenly. Yeah. Um, like he was one day like working on a farm and taking care of horses and headed up to go camping. And then he had a, a heart attack and, and that was that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it did kind of lead to this in like so many interesting conversations of like, like uh, what is, what is worse? What is, you know, ha losing someone immediately and never saying goodbye or having to watch someone suffer. Uh, and him, Jeff, he was a, uh, tough sob and i don't think for a second he would have wanted to suffer or have anyone see that or have anyone right. take care of him or you know um but for the family it, it is interesting uh an interesting dilemma not a you don't get to choose but like an interesting thought yeah it's and it sucks either i mean it sucks both ways don't get me wrong and there's plenty of people that can disagree with that there's obviously not a, a set thing for that but with it there's it's like you said being a tough guy and my dad was the same way there's a certain amount of weakness that you could tell he felt that he had never had before and he had to deal with on a daily basis yeah that 
that just sucks because you go from being somebody who basically fought their way to the top. Well, he was a superhero at some point, like probably, yeah. especially to you, you know, like, and he knew so many people he was a basketball coach, a baseball coach. And, you know, he really was a good person and a good person in our neighborhood. So it was, a, it was difficult to watch the guy who everybody looked up to sort of melt away right. in, in, in a way that, it was it was hard. And then, you know, we had because I lost a lot of friends. You know, I lost friends in a bad car wreck right after my dad died. Uh, I lost friends to, to drugs, uh, heroin, all kinds of shit. And I remember all those. And that was always something that felt different because you, losing somebody that young will never register with me. And that's right. a different thing, like losing a child. I think that's probably the most tragic. But sure. watching a, a parent is also when it's when they're young, or at least young for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes it does take something out of you. And it's, yeah, it's I mean, you went through that so early because that's a totally different thing than, like you said, like you know, being a grown up and having your older parent, you know, pass away. As tragic as that is, it's it's not as shocking as being thirteen. You know, it's just, right. that's a massive life changing moment, you know? And, and that's why, like, as a dad, I think my dad was the same way where there's a certain level of protection. You just want to give your kids no matter what, and you mm-hmm. just want to make sure they're safe and okay. And I think that's all my dad cared about. I think that was so valuable that he's like, as long as I make sure they're okay. And what's always messed me up that I think messed him up was he thought he failed because of all my drugs and alcohol. And that's why I'd like to clear it up because he even told me that. And I was like, no, you didn't like, this isn't because of you. It's Mm -hmm. just my, I was insecure. I was, I had my own issues. I was a teenager and I was broken and I was already depressed. And my mom was like, it was just this perfect storm of shit. And I've always regretted that where it's like, okay, he was really sick. And I responded by making them, spend money on lawyers and bail me out of jail and the day that Blame i got myself my car- for things yeah i mean the day that i got my license i totaled his car he had a brand new buick regal and i ended up in a high-speed chase where i smashed into a tree no shit of- yeah is it one of the only times my dad ever hit me because i got out of the car when the police arrived <laughs> all my friends had ran and uh, I didn't know that he had all these beer and potato chips for family members because he didn't drink in the trunk. So I went into the ghetto and bought booze and shit and like was drinking. <laughs> and uh, when I hit the tree, the trunk popped open <laughs> and basically a Super Bowl party came flying out of the back. Was <laughs> that the- Doritos commercial? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Waking up all the neighbors and then uh, the airbag cracked my face and I was knocked unconscious. Fortunately, my friends weren't because they all just ran. So it looked like it was just eight. <laughs> And I remember I woke up and my dad was there and I get out of the car and my nose is bleeding, I think. And I go, Dad, <laughs> I go, Dad, don't worry, I'm okay. And he goes, good. And he punches me in the face. And that was the <laughs> second time I was knocked out that night. And Did you tell I, him uh, the tree hit harder? Yes. No, uh, <laughs> it did though. But uh, <laughs> but I swear to God, I'm laying on the ground. And I start getting up, and uh, the cop. I just hear the cop go, "He's up. If you want to hit him again." <laughs> <laughs> that should be the real Bud Light commercial, dude. Oh, that's like, completely. You know yeah, what I mean? That. Like, hey, drink Bud Light, and then she just cut to that exact scene and be like, "This is the way it could have happened to you." Yeah, I mean, this is the way it could end. 
you know. And I think <laughs> drink and responsibly. It, right. Yeah, drink responsibly just while you're laying, while your dad's connecting to your face. It just says drink responsibly <laughs> as you get out. Yeah. When you're drinking underage, be extra responsible yeah. behind the wheel of a Buick. <laughs> Do not attempt so your to Your dad doesn't beat the shit out of me. Oh, he... I did $14,000 in damage because uh, I remember I was walking downstairs and he had gotten the bill for the car from the insurance company. He goes, here you go. Take that to school and let everybody know how proud I am of you. <laughs> <laughs> had he hit you before or say like, had, not had really? No, no. Only like a love tap sort of a thing on the back of the head of like straighten out but when i crashed his car that he earned into a tree dude it was the first close fist punch and last i ever got from my dad did you and your how old your, was your brother younger or older twin oh oh, oh wow, wow. And brother did, yeah did you guys fight a lot uh every day yeah uh, for <laughs> years to the point that my dad was like i mean he he'd try to get us to he'd be like I'll get you a BB gun, <laughs> and that will you know that'll be <laughs> something that you can bond time. over. And then <laughs> my brother shot me with it, and then we had <laughs> <laughs> so then he, we both got a BB gun, and we decided we had a neighbor that had a pigeon, and they were shitting all over the neighborhood. So we're like, let's fucking shoot these pigeons. And I realize this is sociopathic, but we were <laughs> so. <laughs> They would all be on this wire above our garage, and we just started pelting them off. And when you'd hit them with a BB, like feathers would fly out of them, and they'd drop onto the garage. And we killed like 10 of them. But it's me, my friend Sean, and my brother, and these cops come running through their yard, guns drawn, yelling, put it down, put it down. And we don't know what to do. So my friend Sean and I, who both have guns, are running to the front yard holding the guns, and there's two cop cars coming down the street. And we're just like, oh, fuck. So we throw these guns, and then we're on the ground, you know, with guns drawn on us. They thought that people were shooting real guns at these birds. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the cops are taking the guns away from us to like, and they didn't charge us with anything, but the whole time my mom's like inside in a depressed mood, watching TV, like murder. She wrote, not even <laughs> noticing that there's like fucking squad cars. And I just so, yeah, imagine a yeah, PG 13 movie where it's just like a woman <laughs> doing dishes and in like the, like window behind her, like uh, birds are flying and there's SWAT teams and her kids. There's a helicopter with a hot drop with the dude underneath there, yeah. like fast roping. And she the answers backyard. the door for the police and she's like, "Oh, do you guys want to come in for tea? You guys want cookies?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just completely naked gun. It's just an explosion. I'm just like nothing. <laughs> yeah, but we, yeah, we, um, we fought all the time. He's my brother was super competitive and I wasn't, and he's he's now much taller than me because I started smoking young and we nobody really knew we were twins because we're not identical so it was what does he sort do of, now um he does uh, uh some business thing with his buddy <laughs> got it who i mentioned that was earlier. legit yeah. <laughs> yeah. he has to go across the border a couple times a month but they're legit now <laughs> he's got his hand in some pots <laughs> he does import export waste management yeah big, he's big into the, to that business yeah. he owns different houses with stuff in them <laughs> did he get in as much trouble as you growing up no he always got out of trouble even when really? he was 
Yeah, one time he he That's took my car to go to. This was even in college, and I probably I don't even know I should tell it, but why not? Um, he got <laughs> an, he got he was about to get pulled over by the police, and he's in my car, so he guns it. And my we're watching from the top of his frat house as he's getting away from this cop, and he goes in between traffic and then beats a train. And he must have been celebrating because he lost control of the wheel and smashed into a house and then just <laughs> ran. <laughs> so he comes running back into the frat house and he's just dripping with sweat. And he doesn't know that I know that he took his car. So he runs into this upstairs where we're all at. And he just goes, uh, if anybody asks, I was here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's totally going to be fine, man. And uh, No one's ever going to question that story. Yeah, and when he went to court... <laughs> Uh, because I'm like, I did not have the car. I have witnesses here. They couldn't really prove it, but we, my brother did take responsibility, but the judge was wearing uh, his Sam frat pin. <laughs> so he just lucked out again. Yep. And even when he was young, like he took it, he pissed in a Gatorade bottle and threw it out of a, his window of his football team. And it smashed all over. It smashed a guy's windshield who then lost control of his car <laughs> And smashed oh into another guy, and somehow they just chopped it up to like kids will be kids. And I was like, <laughs> so he tried to get in as much trouble as you. Yeah. No one just gave a shit. Oh, we have so many articles of houses we were at where he got away and I didn't. Like I, I actually put one up recently <laughs> called "Drunken Soda Pop Drinker" about a nineteen-year-old kid who's getting arrested for stealing. Uh, I was stealing soda from a, a gas station because the guy wouldn't sell me 20 cans of whipped cream. <laughs> like, what could possibly you be doing with that? You know? It was it's like July and the guy goes, what is this? And I'm, I'm out of high school at the time. And I'm like, Oh, it's, like, for, pie, man. So I say, it's for homecoming. It's ice cream social. And he goes in July. Say, yeah. <laughs> This, so guy was better, this guy was better than the cop that was like actually investigating shit. Yeah, oh, wait, <laughs> yeah. much better. And he, uh, he's like, no, I'm not selling to you. So they had these two liters for sale outside. So I'm like, I'm going to take your two liters. So I'm just throwing them in my trunk. And there's a <laughs> cop watching me do all of this. So I get pulled over <laughs> by the cop. And they called the article Drunken Soda Pop Drinker. <laughs> but there's, you sound like the world's lamest serial killer. Dude, it's, yeah. Yeah. we found a head under a seat and a 40 of Sainides. And that's what it says. A 40 ounce of malt liquor was found under the seat. And I was like, I still had that. I didn't even know. <laughs> the, the cops probably just back into the parking spot and just go like, is this fucking Dave guy serious again? Dude, look, he's arrested. just throwing two liters into the truck. Was, the, was that you, area man. like small enough to where there was only like limited Limited police? Yeah. We had, well, there was Wayne County proper, which uh, we were in, which did have Detroit, but we were in Gross Point Woods where it had one guy specifically who would beat the shit out of me. Like, yeah. He fucked me up in my driveway. He threw me down a staircase. Um, that was a fun time. Yeah. He, he did you me. deserve it? No, not that time. Yeah. I was at a party at my brother's girlfriend's. Again, my brother was not arrested. <laughs> and, that's the theme of the yeah. story and i ran upstairs and i look at natalie and i go you gotta hide me so she puts me in the closet and throws clothes on me like i'm et and uh <laughs> there's a girl who runs in the room and she's like what do i do i'm like i just get under a bed and they pull her out and arrest her 
so then the cops come back in and I thought it was my friends and I go, are they gone? And they're like, no, we're not. <laughs> so they open up the closet and they see me. Now I've been sitting uh, PC wise crisscross applesauce for quite some time. <laughs> so my legs are now much more numb than they already were being noodly. <laughs> so they bring me to the top of the stairs and give me a shove and I tumble down the stairs and I just crack my head on the bottom of it to where an entire party of kids, mostly white, start chanting Rodney King, Rodney King, Rodney King. <laughs> oh, my God. So they come down and arrest me. <laughs> oh my God. And now they're not going to stay and arrest everybody else because the, everybody's just watched them commit police brutality. <laughs> so I get arrested. Assault and battery. And you got arrested, yeah. though. They, re- they threw you on the stairs and then they arrested you. Then arrested me. And I get in the car with the girl, and I had a pen on me, which I only had to clean out my bowl. Uh, so I got her phone number. <laughs> and, and I remember how you met your wife. I met my wife. No, I called her, and her dad was like, "Who the fuck is this? Don't ever call here again." You were arrested. <laughs> Aren't you the kid that the police that you made the police throw the throw you down the stairs? Oh yeah, he was like, he's, yeah, he's like, don't worry, I'm buying my daughter out of trouble. From my understanding, you were fucked because of course they asked they press char- the- they press charges after that too. No, they, yeah, yeah, they pressed charges because everybody asked them. I was like, no, there was 50 kids there. Just go and ask them if I was thrown down the stairs. And they were right. all like, I've never heard of a party. I wasn't anywhere near. <laughs> oh, so nobody said they were there except my friend Sean. And they're like, well, we've arrested him. We don't believe him. Yeah. So it didn't really matter. Like Apparently the company, the company you ran with could not, say, could not vouch for you. <laughs> yeah. No. They didn't want to go either. They didn't want to go back to jail or start going to jail. Right. Was there uh what year? What year was this? Like what years were like the 98? Okay. So were there were there gangs in, in Deer Point? Gross Point? No. Gross Point. Point. Sorry. No. no gangs in that. There in were, that line. No. And the east side right across from where we were at. Yeah. Big time. But no, not. We you guys were just. Okay. Just drunk and stupid kids. Yeah. We, we were. uh we were special. I mean, we were just awful. Dude, we so were... I I have to ask this about in Detroit. You see all the time, like a lot of kids with just like lighthouses on fire, right? Yeah. Like it's big during like the Halloween time and stuff like that. Did Were you ever around that kind of stuff? Did you ever see people do that? Oh, yeah. Um, like just I abandoned mean... houses. They just <laughs> burn to the ground just for fun. Yeah. Well, they would do it on Devil's Night, especially. Devil's Night. night that's Halloween. what it's called, right? Yeah, what, what is yeah. Devil's Night? It's uh, Halloween, night, right? Well, the night before Halloween, they night would before. celebrate in the 70s, 80s, after the Detroit riots in the 60s by burning down houses. And okay. sometimes, occasionally, there'd be people in them. But for the <laughs> oh, most part... Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. But yeah, their arson was a big thing. So they called it Devil's Night and eventually decided to call it Angel's Night. And, you know, there'd be people out on the street to stop it. And it was uh, it was just a thing where Detroit would burn to the ground uh, right. October 30th. And... Yeah, arson was a big thing when we were young. Like we were more bags of shit on fire, but we I remember one time we filled a bag of shit and it was like a giant grocery bag with all the shit we could find from like a bucket in my friend's yard and we soaked it in gasoline. Where, where are you looking for this shit? Yeah, it's like an entire <laughs> bucket of shit. And we covered gasoline and put it on this kid's porch and lit it and ran. But we didn't wait for them to step it out and realize they were on vacation. Oh my so God. 
their entire porch burnt down. <laughs> and we were like, we were like 11. <laughs> hey, gotcha. <laughs> we, never, we never talked about it. He'll never guess what we did here. <laughs> He's going right, to be so, so surprised. You were arrested 12 times. Uh, and how many times should you have been arrested? <laughs> Hundreds. Hundreds. Yeah, no, Everything obviously no. past the statute of limitations at this point. I, uh, hope, I don't know I about think- the arson. Because we also did that with dry leaf piles where we would like we would go to a dry leaf pile because you'd rake them into the street and they'd actually come around with this sucker that would pick them up. So they'd just be dry leaf piles in the street. So when you're on acid and drunk and driving around, you know, like you do, you'd pull up <laughs> and you just throw a match or something in them and then come back. Yeah, just and for the see. fun of it. Yeah. But one time we like came back and there's fire trucks. You you know, Ryan. Oh, I know. Yeah. All about it. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, Dave, oh, you rascal. Look at this <laughs> rascal just giving us work. Yeah. And half the, uh, you know, half of the lawn would be incinerated. And it was, it's in smoldering. And we were like, we shouldn't do this as much. This yeah. is terrifying. As much. No, no yeah. we shouldn't stop. Yeah. We, should, uh, we should lay light on this, you know, maybe yeah. only every other weekend. Yeah, that's kind of how we could. Yeah, <laughs> do it. But yeah, Ryan's seen it. I mean, the Detroit firefighters had a really rough job because a lot of those guys would die because they'd have to go put this shit out, and mm-hmm. you'd you'd be on like a roof that had already caved in six other times during these fires, and then yeah, they got real shitty with the firefighters. Where like one guy took a screen door off of an abandoned house to put on the fire station, and they wanted him fired. And I think Dennis Leary did a documentary about it to help even get the guy's job back. Yeah. Dennis Leary is awesome, man, for firefighters. Yeah. Like literally in our, you know, in my community, um, he is one of the best advocates for the fire department, you know, yeah. and firefighter safety. And like, especially if firefighters families or a firefighter died and their families weren't, they were denied some type of like, you know, benefit or something like that. He is, he's huge in that stuff. You know, I actually went to um, a movie premiere for this a documentary called Burn. It's all about Detroit firefighters. And the whole that's city what I'm burning. talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's in that movie. Yeah. yeah so I went to a, like a live showing of that, and a lot of the Detroit firefighters were there, and one of them was in a wheelchair because he was at a fire, and the the wall collapse collapsed onto him. You know, paralyzed him from that point on, and he's kind of more more of that. You know, he's kind of like a little bit of a spokesperson for like the danger that you know they deal with for like really shitty pay. You know, like Detroit firefighters don't make very good money at all compared no, no, to no. a lot you know anyway dave that was actually your fault and we have him here yeah. now to talk to him. <laughs> he's here <laughs> he's just half burned <laughs> it's like i just wanted to say thanks <laughs> i hope you can play catch with your son because one of us can't <laughs> you're like hey man you want to race or ah, i got you you know uh, uh, just kidding yeah, around you can't just kidding that. around you know what i do it's like you know i'm a it's my I thing do, you know i do stand up which you can't physically do <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, Ryan, true, I feel though. like we need to make yeah. a uh, donation of some sort to a yeah. Detroit firefighter fund. Yeah, Any benefit a... from this pat- podcast has to go to the Detroit firefighters. Now. <laughs> I've done uh, benefit shows too for different firefighters in uh, in in Michigan, and, and you're right about the Detroit ones, and it sucks too. Yeah. It's again that government thing where they try to pull out that pay and say that you don't deserve it when yeah. you died serving the public, or you know that's it's bullshit. And anytime that happens. It's just disheartening because you're an actual hero. I'm I was a problem. You're a hero. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
kind of, you know, and, and I appreciate, you know, anybody that says that. Um, but it's, it's true. You know, a lot of people are lucky to find something that they love doing, you know, and even like, you know, whatever, you know, like your career in comedy and, you know, whatever that little skit is you do or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you know, like getting on uh, (laughs) getting on ladder with Crowder and like doing that kind of stuff. Like if you love it and do it, I mean, that's awesome. And that's honestly a lot of firefighters. They just like the thrill of the day to day job. You know what I mean? And being good at it has a lot of benefits because people they like you. You know, well, in any book written by a firefighter or an EMT uh, is something that I just find insane because what you guys see, I don't know how you compartmentalize it because everything that happened to me, I was young. So I learned how to compartmentalize it when I was older. Yeah, and it's the- funny that you say that because I uh, I almost feel like I deal with it sometimes in the probably not the best way, but because I can't compartmentalized a lot of stuff from like my mom like growing up a lot of like the emotional stuff and trauma you know that going yeah. through i almost find it easier to you know compartmentalize like emotions for certain situations because i kind of just would always deal with things and kind of move past it very quickly because i kind of had to you know yeah but yeah for sure yeah. no that makes yeah. that makes sense and it's it's got to be very hard but it's it's good that you have a, at least a personal attachment to loving what you do to at least help yeah, you know, I, I think you just kind of have to, you know, and it's interesting when we talk to, you know, people like, you know, that are in like entertainment and stuff like that, how when they found that, that seems to be like something that they like finally did that they liked when everything else they did was just kind of like because they wanted to get a job or make money. They never found like a passion. But, you know, it seems like going down the path of like being a comedian and like probably talking about a lot of this stuff on stage, you know, is. Oh, yeah a big relief for you to be Dave's able to do actually that. a clean comedian. He only, yeah. he only does <laughs> hey. uh, corporate functions Squeaky and talks clean. About air, airplane food. So yeah. uh, yes. this is, uh... my Christmas shows are pretty good. <laughs> uh, uh, Dave, I am so sad to say this, but we are out of time. Oh, uh, and enjoy talking will you, to you guys, will you please yeah. come back? Because we haven't, yeah, even, please come back, dude. We haven't even I talked don't... about like you as a dad yet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, anytime you want to have me, I was I was happy you reached out because Adam's uh, done more for me in comedy than I think anyone, and I'd like awesome. to point that out. Like he's a really good human being. He even got me my current agent. Yeah, awesome. And That's a, the first agent. good thing anybody's ever said about you. Honestly, so we're, we're good about that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so what you're saying is Ryan and I are both heroes. You're both heroes, and I. And my uh, agent is a gay Mexican man who gives me an out card for anything that I say. <laughs> he's the best though oh dude he's awesome i love when he said like that's what i, I just said it because that's what he told me he's like if anybody ever accuses you of anything just tell him i'm a big mexican fruit <laughs> yeah he's he's hilarious he he oh, breaks my. so many stereotypes oh he's well he's a conservative gay man who lives in hollywood yeah in um, hollywood that's where he lives yeah, or LA. West yeah. Hollywood. Yeah, no, West Hollywood. West yeah. Hollywood. Yeah, the the gayest part of Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the mecca. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We have uh, two two things for you before you go. Sure. Uh, number one, what is your favorite dad joke? My favorite dad joke is anytime my son says something like "Dad, I have to poop," I'll go, "I will tell your children about it." <laughs> so anytime he does something that's no accomplishment at all I have like, something that i will pass we're gonna write this down yeah. 
This is um, going on the fridge, man. Yeah, you it's know? got to. And I also think anything that can be a dad joke, like, you know, like you look at stairs and you're like, huh, like they're bipolar, always up and down. Like anytime, anytime yeah, I dad think, jokes are about suicide. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty dark. They're dark dad jokes. Though. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, even that is uh, anytime I can make a dad joke, which is at least 50 times a day from what I understand, even though yeah. I don't know I'm doing it. It's it's so much fun. Like they're just so much fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you have it out. They're like, ah, it's a dad joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the last thing we like to uh, let all of our guests name their episode of the podcast. Oh. Oh boy. Let's call this one burning desires. Burning <laughs> desires. <laughs> oh just... no, let's call this Devil's Night. Devil's, Devil's Night. Night. That's I think that's way one. better. Let's that's Devil's, Devil's Night, Night with Dave Landau. Yeah. Devil's, Devil's Night, Night is way better. Also, like, slash, I didn't do it. Maybe yes. at the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> didn't you take can't prove shit. You know? <laughs> didn't take Devil's Night, Devil's slash, tell him I was here the whole time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not confess to burning down my neighbor's house. <laughs> uh, thank you, Dave. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. Of yeah, course, thanks, yeah. man. We would definitely got to do a part two and talk to you again. That'd be Anytime. awesome. Man, Dave Landau. That was Dave Landau. We, that we guy. told you guys. Yeah, we told you. We told you it was going to be funny. Mm-hmm. We told you it was going to be depressing. Told you it was going to have some serious moments and some ridiculous moments. But I hope you loved it because we really love talking to Dave. Definitely, man. Dave was awesome. And it was uh, he's full of stories. I feel like we could have him back 10 times and he would tell us something new every time. <laughs> I know for sure. I would be like, tell me again about how your dad hit you, though. <laughs> I would still I would still want to know that. And he'd Talk be about the wrong side of the tracks in some of his stories, you know. Right. So if you uh, if you want to see Dave Landau perform, tour dates are at DaveLandau.com. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please go subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Raising Dads is available. And we put out more than one episode uh, to launch. So go listen to another one right now. Yeah, go in there. Get it. Punch it punch it <laughs> subscribe <laughs> it's not a baby it's a podcast mom's mad so for daddy what the heck thanks for listening thank you bye subscribe and download subscribe and download Daddy, poop 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 raising dad